Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. Our theme verse today comes from the Bible's book of mourning and sorrow, Lamentations. In chapter 1, verse 16 of Lamentations, the text says, For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate, because the enemy has prevailed. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where in many places across the world, abortion is legal and readily accessible. I am writing this episode with a heavy heart because recently, in my home state of New York, legislators decided to make abortion much more accessible by enacting the Reproductive Health Act. This law not only makes getting an elective abortion easier, it also extends how far into a pregnancy a woman can get an abortion, even right up until the point when she goes into labor. Many Christians may be aware of the reality that elective abortion is wrong, but some may be unable to clearly articulate why it is wrong from a biblical perspective. So, what I will do in this episode is explain three reasons why elective abortion is objectively and morally wrong. Elective abortion refers to an abortion performed for any reason other than saving the life of the mother. As Christians, we obtain our ultimate marching orders from the Lord. Thus, many of the arguments I describe today are biblical, but some of the arguments against abortion are scientific or philosophical. That is to say, there is also plenty of evidence to reject abortion on natural grounds, in addition to what we discern from an open Bible. Let's get started. Why abortion is wrong, reason number one, because God is radically pro-life. God is a God who is self-sufficient. He needed nothing, yet He still created life. As the author of life, God has therefore declared by His works that He is strongly in favor of life. In fact, He is not just radically in favor of human life, He is in favor of life in general. This is why He created fish in the seas, beasts on the ground, and birds in the air. He also made a world for us to live in that is designed to be hospitable to life. In particular, God made humankind in His image so human beings reflect God's likeness. Genesis 1.26 The first command that God gave to humanity was to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.28 That is, God told men and women to make lots of babies because God is radically pro-life. Even more, even after man disappointed God and rejected him, what did God do? He sent his son into the world to save humankind, not so that they would die, but so that they would live and have eternal life. As John 3.16 says, anyone who now believes in Jesus Christ will have everlasting life. As 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, it is in God's dispositional will that everyone come to repentance so that none will perish. In other words, it is within God's dispositional will that all will live. God is radically pro-life. Why abortion is wrong, reason number two, because the baby in the womb is a person. Many may regard the baby in the womb as an it or a thing, but God does not see the precious youngster this way. God regards the baby in the womb as a full-fledged person, regardless of how far along in the womb the baby is, regardless of whether they are eight seconds old or eight months old. 
In God's eyes, the baby is a person at the moment of conception. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God tells his prophet in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. This tells us that even before Jeremiah was in the womb, he was known by God. You must exist to be known, and therefore in the womb, the baby is a person. In Luke chapter 1, the text tells us that Mary visits Elizabeth. At the time, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the baptizer. In Luke 1.41, it says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. The Greek word for baby here is brephos, which refers either to an unborn child in the womb or to a newborn baby. The point is that a baby in the womb is a brephos and a baby out of the womb is a brephos. Thus, whether unborn or born, the child is a person. Further on in Luke 2.5, the text says that Mary is with child because a woman that is with child is pregnant. In Psalm 139.13, the psalmist writes that God formed him in his mother's womb. In Galatians 1.15-16, the apostle Paul says in his mother's womb, God set him apart and called him by grace. And in Exodus 21, 22 25 the Mosaic law treats a pregnant woman as two people. That text says that if men are fighting and accidentally strike a woman so that she delivers prematurely, if there is any injury to the baby, the appropriate penalty to be enacted is life for life, eye for eye, or tooth for tooth. The principle being communicated is that the unborn child is a person, and that person has particular legal standing if injured. Additionally, we can also look at scientific and philosophical evidence that supports the claim that the baby in the womb is a person. On a microscopic level, even when the baby has only one cell, he or she already has a distinct human DNA signature that distinguishes them from the parents. To put it another way, the newly conceived baby already has a genetic fingerprint of their own. And, from the very beginning, the baby manifests signs of normal human life, such as growth, reproduction, and metabolism. Let us also not forget that from conception, everything that is necessary for that child to go from being a few cells big to being a fully grown baby already exists. Many advocates for abortion may balk and say that early in the womb, the baby's size disqualifies them from being a person. This is a poor argument because size has nothing to do with personhood. One-year-olds are not less than people simply because they are smaller than adults. Some may say that because the unborn has a low level of development, they are less than a person. This also is a poor argument. A five-year-old girl is not less than a person simply because she has not gone through puberty. Some may claim that because the unborn is in a strange environment or because they have a high degree of dependency in the womb that they are not a person. In life, people move from environment to environment all the time. This does not change their personhood. What does change is the environment that the person is in. Finally, all human beings never stop being dependent. We all need air to breathe, the sun to set our internal clocks, and sleep to restore. There are, in fact, some who are more dependent than others, like diabetics who need insulin injections, heart patients that need blood thinners, or kidney patients who require dialysis. Yes, all of these people are more dependent than others, but the degree of dependency does not change the fact that they are people.
So, although the unborn is highly dependent in the womb, they are still a person. Proponents of elective abortion tend to always argue that the unborn is not a person. Logically, then, if the unborn child is not a person, then there would never be a need to justify abortion. This is why, for example, in laws like New York's Reproductive Health Act, it specifically defines the unborn as not being a person. Yet, regardless of how legislators like to redefine reality on paper, the fact remains that the unborn is a person. Thus, no justification for an elective abortion is ever sufficient. Why is that? This leads me to the third point. Why abortion is wrong, reason number three. Because elective abortion is murder. This point should be readily obvious by now. God is radically pro-life, and so he commanded us not to murder in Exodus 20.13. He gave this command in order to safeguard and protect life, especially cognizant that all human beings are made in his image. Elective abortion is murder because abortion equals killing the human being in the womb. Elective abortion is murder because abortion equals killing the person in the womb. Elective abortion is murder because it equates to a willful, premeditated voluntary act where a life is purposely destroyed. In fact, elective abortion is synonymous with in-the-womb injustice and fetal oppression. Is it wrong to murder another person? Yes. Is the unborn a person? Yes. Then it is objectively wrong to murder the defenseless unborn. Objectively wrong means that the pro-life position has nothing to do with preference or how anyone feels about elective abortion. It still remains objectively wrong. That elective abortion is murder is an objective moral claim which is neither subjective nor ambiguous. It being objective means it applies to everyone equally without prejudice. It being not ambiguous means in order for anything to be right or wrong, a distinction must be made that clearly separates the two. Refusing to make a distinction essentially is a manifestation of the refusal to decide about morality. In such a case, anything goes and no one is right or wrong. Granted, we live in a world where many variables are at play when a person considers elective abortion. There may be a host of political, social, economic, psychological, emotional, or other variables that nudge a decision. But although factors around having the child may be astronomically complex on many different levels, the decision to have the baby is never complex. That moral decision is in fact very simple because elective abortion is murder. It does not matter if a woman claims the right to do with her own body as she chooses because this falsely assumes that she is only dealing with one person. Ultimately, no one can reserve the right to murder someone else. Even in the situation where the woman does not want the child, that still does not make murder okay. If you don't want Buddhists on your block, does that give you the right to kill them? Even if you can't afford a baby, does that give you the right to kill them? Allow me to summarize. By providing scriptural evidence as well as scientific and philosophical arguments, I made the case that elective abortion is objectively wrong and therefore should not be done nor be legal. This claim was based on the fact that number one, God is radically pro-life, number two, the baby in the womb is a person, and number three, that elective abortion is murder. 
Before I close, it must be said that although we live in a world that fights for the quote-unquote right for abortion, as Christians, we understand that the true evil that relishes murdering children is not of this world. If we pull back the veil of personal choice in politics, who we will find behind the zealous desire to murder children is the father of lies, the devil himself. He is the one who has been trying to kill babies from the beginning. He tried to kill baby Moses by murdering all newborn Hebrew male babies in Egypt, and he tried to kill baby Jesus by murdering all Hebrew male youths in Judea 2,000 years ago. It's no surprise, then, that in Psalm 106.37, the writer states that the people sacrificed their children to the demons of Canaan. In Leviticus 22-5, the Lord speaks to his people and warns them not to sacrifice their children to the demon Moloch. God says he will turn his face away from the person who commits such an abomination and that he will cut the offender off from his people. Many may read Old Testament verses like that now and say to themselves, what a primitive people in a primitive time, sacrificing their children to idols. Yet, when you think about it, nothing has really changed. People may not take their children to the altar of Moloch anymore, but they do sacrifice their unborn on the altar of timing, convenience, or personal choice. Proverbs 6.17 tells us that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. This is why all Christians must take a stand and raise a voice for the innocent, voiceless unborn whose blood is shed recklessly and without mercy. As Proverbs 31.8 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Ultimately, the Christian who takes a stand and advocates for the unborn is not anti-anything. They are pro-God, pro-life, and pro-people. This is why, even at the risk of being persecuted and victimized, we open our mouths and speak for the unborn who cannot raise a defense for themselves. We open our mouths and speak for their right to live as assigned by God himself. God is so much in favor of human life that he designed, created, and then autographed human life with his image. We now open our mouths to help those precious little image bearers who cannot help themselves, for the unborn who cannot speak, and for the unfortunate who find their lives threatened by an abominable evil. As Lamentations 1.16 says, For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Beloved, Jesus Christ has already prevailed over death, over darkness, and over the devil. Therefore, we lean on our precious Lord and Savior and fight the fight for life, knowing we are not fighting a natural battle with natural means. We are fighting a spiritual battle using spiritual means. The lies and darkness of the enemy shall never prevail over the light and truth of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.